Well, um, it's great to be here with you. It's a very, very great day. Um, Chappy Week's a very important uh, week for me. I think it's... Uh, so this is the, um, the uh, kind of the last day of SU's Chappy Week. So we've been going uh, all, all this week, stopping to celebrate uh, the great thing that Chaplain, Chaplaincy is. Um, and uh, we're celebrating the chaplains, we're celebrating the volunteers, the teams, the schools, the churches, the community groups, all the, all the people that kind of work together uh, to ensure that um, chaplaincy takes place and that the um, students, the families, the staff all get the advantage uh, of what it is that they're providing. Um, so it really, is, it really is great, it really is worth um, celebrating. And um, I'll, I'll embarrass them a bit further, I think in Winter Manly we... We really do have a particular cause for celebration. Uh, our chaplains are particularly awesome, and uh, I want to say that Greg is a great amongst the greats, all right? Um, I've been a parent of students at both uh, Manly and Wynnum High, where Greg is, is, is chaplain, and uh, you know, the school admin, the staff, uh, the kids, uh, he's held in ridiculously high esteem, you know? Uh, he, I, I've been to things at Manly, he's basically there with the prince, you know, it looks like he's half running the show, you know, like it's, um, it's really, really good stuff. So we really do have a lot uh, to celebrate um, uh, in this area uh, with, with chaplaincy, with, with Chappie Greg, and I think with, uh, the church has made a good decision in adopting uh, Chappie Greg uh, as, uh, as their particular chaplain. Um, do I have some slides up there? Super. All right, well, we've talked about that. Um, actually, I'm such a supporter of Chappie Greg uh, that I am going to run 10 kilometres in the bridge to Brisbane to raise $1,000 for his, um, for his uh, hours. So if you want to be a part of two great miracles, one, the miracle that is Chappie Greg, and two, <laughs> the miracle that is me running 10 kilometres, um, <laughs> come and check my Facebook page or whatever, and you can, uh, you can be a part of that. Um, so I'm a fan of Chappie Greg, but I'm also a big fan of chaplaincy. Um, some of you who do know me know that, actually it's probably the way that I know a lot of you actually first got to know you, is that uh, going back to the late 90s uh, and early 2000s, I was a chaplain. I was a chaplain at Wynnum North uh, State High School. Wynnum North State High School isn't a thing anymore. That wasn't my fault. I didn't, I didn't do that. But I was, <laughs> I was there prior to that and, and, uh, and uh, uh, had a really great time. Look... Uh, chaplaincy really changed me. Being a chaplain is probably the most remarkable thing that I did. Uh, I think about, uh, you know, personal growth, spiritual growth, uh, professional growth. Just such an amazing time of challenge and opportunity uh, to kind of try and be that God's person in the community and just what, uh, what that sort of brought into my life is amazing. And so, so I became very passionate uh, about chaplaincy. Uh, and really the last 20 years have probably put all of my professional energies into that sort of development training part to just, is there something, you know, I can offer in that mix to, to kind of support or empower, equip, you know, resources, program, whatever it is, to be able to help um, these great chaplains um, do what it is they're being called, called to do. So I, I'm really excited to be a part of this service today because um, chaplaincy is certainly, in, in my view, worth, uh, worth celebrating. Uh, I've entitled this morning's um, sermon The Unofficial Chaplain or Unofficial Chaplains because even though I'm quite the big fan uh, of chaplaincy, I don't really want the end point of this sermon to be chaplaincy is really great, you know, let's all dig deep, let's keep supporting it and, uh, you know, that, that wouldn't be a bad outcome, uh, you know, for a sermon on a day like today. 
But what I really want to do, I guess, is take this idea that there's something about chaplaincy that maybe we can draw upon uh, to be more effective in our own sort of everyday Christian lives. That's kind of an idea, I guess, that I know has been important to me. I've, I've kind of had that. I've, I've kind of, in conversations with people, I've, I've, I've kind of said, I think chaplaincy is a bit like a caricature. It's a bit like this sort of really obvious version of what it might mean just for all of us to sort of head out into the world, looking out, uh, and being God's good news people just in our families and our you know, workplaces amongst, amongst our friends. And, and what, what Warren has done in this book, Unofficial Chaplain, has basically taken that idea and really expanded that out. He's broken down the different sort of areas of the role of the chaplain and then just gone to everyday people like us and just kind of said, well, maybe this is what that could mean for you uh, in your life. So I've kind of stolen uh, that title and I wanted to use it for today because I think that would be a really great place for us to kind of land uh, at the end of a, uh, a sermon time today. So what I want to do, I guess, is, is talk a little bit this morning about what chaplaincy is, what chaplains do, uh, do a little bit of a scriptural reflection uh, around that, uh, and then come back to that question is, what would it mean for us to be uh, unofficial quest, uh, chaplains uh, in our own worlds? Right. I guess I've got that question up there that where we probably need to start is, uh, you know, so what is it that chaplains actually do? What is this thing... Uh, called chaplaincy. Um, one of the things that I do in my, my current job is I, I run some sessions in our new chaplains induction. So chaplains get employed and they get a two-day induction with us and we talk about what's chaplaincy, what do chaplains do, and we you know, talk to them about their pay and their holidays, all those things that they seem to find more... No, they don't find that more important. But, you know, all the other things that are also important uh, for them to know as they get started um, with us. So when it kind of comes down to saying to chaplain, we, we give them something simple to start with. We say, okay, here, here's a place to start. You know, um, here's the Department of Education's kind of version of what it is that chaplaincy is. Uh, and of course, you can see it up there. Uh, the chaplains provide social, emotional and spiritual support to students, parents and staff. So that's kind of, you know, straight from the, from the policy document. But, you know, we really like that. We've kind of adopted that ourselves and we said, okay, well, we, can, we can use that. We can talk about that when we talk about chaplaincy. And it's important for us as we do that to kind of get this idea of what's social, emotional and spiritual support. Chaplaincy is the only school-based role. We've got to remember that chaplaincy is defined by the Department of Education. Scripture Union doesn't define what it is. So, so the secular, the state governments, the federal governments are the ones that define uh, what this is. And it's the only school-based role that explicitly has spiritual care as part of its purview. It's the only role that does. So, so other staff members are in schools providing social and emotional support, you know, that everyday pastoral care kind of work, and the chaplains are doing that too. But there's something a little bit special. You know, there's something sort of distinct about what chaplains are doing. And they're doing this thing called social, emotional and spiritual support. It's like a spiritually infused kind of care. And so when we talk to our chaplains, we tell them that, and we this other little model over here, we kind of say we've got a sense of what that means from our SU, from our Christian perspective, we get that there's God and that God is kind of above, but God is also active and present in things. And he's got a vision and a plan and, and a heart's desires for how things could look uh, in the lives of people in the world. Uh, and and, and we, we talk about shalom, we talk about that sort of idea of wholeness and health and harmony and justice and fairness and, and, and wellness you know, across you know, personal life, relationships, communities, that broader society. We say God has a picture for all of that, social, emotional, spiritual kind of well-being. Uh, and, and we're being called to be agents of that as, as school chaplains. And we're, and, we're, and we're calling you 
into that as well. And I guess maybe that's one of our first sort of little points as unofficial chaplains. Is there a call for us on our lives to be God's agents for shalom in this world? Social, emotional and spiritual support for the people in our communities. A spiritually infused uh, kind of care. So that's important. That's where we kind of start with them. We sort of, and we call this our elevator pitch. It's that sort of five second thing. You know, if you're in the elevator with someone and you're going up and you've got five seconds to try and explain what chaplaincy is, you know, just before they go out the door, you say, it's, it's, we're going to provide social... Oh, ding. All right, we almost, almost got it in there. So that's our kind of starting point. So we sort of start there, uh, but then we kind of expand it out. And when you came in, you would have got your, uh, your snapshots and um, you would see sometimes some of the work of the chaplain uh, is broken down like that. So, so we go on to tell our new chaplains and say, well, uh, here's how that sort of little one sentence might break down a little bit you know, across your days, your weeks, your terms. Uh, so some of it might be that social and emotional support, that pastoral care. Some of it might be specifically uh, spiritual support. Sometimes you're, you're a role model or a mentor or you're bringing other people in uh, who might be role models and mentors uh, to, to the students in the school. You might be in classrooms providing support or uh, helping volunteers get together to help with literacy and numeracy or, or homework clubs, you know, breakfast clubs, things that sort of get kids fed in the morning so they can focus a little bit better for the day. All these very, very great practical things. Community development, connecting in the community, but also raising awareness for important issues. And it might be good because God just hasn't got good things for kids themselves. He's also got good things for them to do, you know, to be aware of and to be a part of and to kind of make a difference uh, in the world. And extracurricular activities, chaplains are there and they're embedded in the life of the school. You know, they're coaching sport teams, they're a part of music practice, uh, going to parent-teacher nights, they're, you know, all, all kinds of different things, you know. And all of these things are the kind of things that, are, that, that make up the life of the chaplain. And again, we might be going, okay, well, that's great. As an unofficial chaplain, what might I think about? You know, I might not be doing educational support specifically in my community and in my world, but, but chaplains do educational support because education is what's important to that community. You know, schools are all about education, so they join in with the goals and the dreams and the desires of that community and they help them realise that. What's the goals, dreams and desires in your community? What, what do people want? What are people hoping for? What, what, what's, what's being put on their heart to, to help them kind of flourish and, and live well in this world? There's a way that we can provide support in our lives uh, for people to say, just seek to live out those goals, those dreams and desires uh, that they have. So some of these things are fairly straightforward. They're a really easy way. You can set them out and you can divide up the times. But uh, I'm sure that Greg has had this experience is, uh, is that it's not actually, chaplaincy is not always really easy to explain. Uh, I know that teachers would sometimes, these were teachers that even kind of got on well, not the ones that were trying to give me a hard time, uh, but the teachers will come up and go, so what is it you actually do here all day? You know, they look, look at you a bit quizzically. And, you know, in, in, in an organisation that's very programmed, you know, it's a very specific kind of goal, sometimes the flexibility, you know, the availability of the chaplain is a little bit hard to kind of grasp. And what, so what is it you actually do? You know, it can be a little bit harder to, um, to kind of describe that to people. But, but some of that sort of flexibility and availability and slipperiness is actually the secret source of chaplaincy, I think. It's, it's what makes chaplaincy so successful in communities. The time and space and resources have been made for availability and that people are able to kind of move around and kind of see where the need, needs are and respond. One of the, um, the other things I, I did this year was I got the opportunity to work with the Nazarene Theological College 
on a graduate certificate in chaplaincy. So again, come see me if you're interested in some postgraduate study and you want to become a chaplain. This, this could help you. This is all, about, this is all just ads this morning, isn't it? It's all just little ads that I'm kind of doing. But um, the, uh, when, I was, when I was looking that up, because I had to do this first unit around chaplaincy, and it had to be about all of chaplaincy. And I go, oh, all I've done for the last 25 years is school chaplaincy. So I had to, I had to kind of... Um, oh, sorry, I didn't, I didn't trigger. I had to... Um, Oh, I'm stuck. I'll, just, I'll do what um, all IT people tell you to do. Turn it off and on again. Oh, IT people, you've let us down. <laughs> uh, there we go, thanks. Uh, back one. Back one, back one. Back one. Oh, you're good. That's okay. That's okay. Um, and so what I had to do, I had to read this big stack of books. And for some people, that's kind of hell. But for me, that was kind of heaven. You know, I'm, I'm quite the nerd. And I you know, had to sit down and read all these books about chaplaincy. Because I knew about school chaplaincy in Australia, but I didn't know about prison chaplaincy. And I didn't know about university chaplaincy. I didn't know about uh, police chaplaincy. And I didn't know about what it looked like in America and England and Europe. So I had to read all these things to try and get my head around uh, what, what was actual, what was chaplaincy, you know. But it was really amazing that what I read in those books was really what we had discovered in Scripture Union in schools for the last 25 years or 30 years now it is that chaplaincy has been around. Uh, and, and these were the kind of main things that, that were, just kept coming out of all these books, all these experiences of chaplains you know, across the world in context, all kind of contexts. And this is the kind of thing that they all had in common. The first thing was that they were being out there in the everyday spaces of people's lives. That was the, one of the starting points. The chaplaincy is, a, is an out-the-window uh, kind of ministry. It takes place outside the four walls of the church and in other people's spaces and communities. That a key to it is intentional presence and journeying alongside people. Now, this is one of the core tasks or roles of the chaplain is to be available, to be present, and to be present in motion, journeying along side with people as they move through the experiences of their lives. The key way of doing that is through positive, trusting relationships, robust relationships. Being available to anyone, and the key word in there was anyone who needed support. So chaplains don't just provide support to religious kids or Christian kids, they provide support to anyone who needs it. And I love this phrase, and I use these words specifically because they're not Christian words necessarily. They're not, you know, they're kind of not owned by the Christian world, but to bear witness to what is divine and what is sacred. That thing that God is doing, that presence, that sort of speaking into the world and to people, so that they don't always recognise in the same way that we might recognise or don't always name in the way that we always name. But to have someone who simply by their presence, to walk through a school and be the chaplain, is to kind of make people go, oh, that's got something to do with something else that might be going on. <laughs> Some kind of spirituality... Or the mere title and presence of that suggests that, but also that the role of the chaplain is in their, their conversation is to salt conversation, I guess, to get people thinking about what if there's more than just what's in front of us and what we taste, touch, you know, see, hear, smell. What if there's something else going on, that God who is above but also pervading every aspect of life? What if, what if that's true? What could that mean? So bearing witness to the divine and the sacred, a really, really important part. And this idea of operating on the edges or in between spaces. Time and time again, chaplains described that their role was to be either right on the edge of things or sort of in between 
I bet you again Greg would kind of say, yeah, he's kind of in between uh, education and well-being and he's also probably kind of in between well-being and spirituality. He's probably in between staff and students and uh, education, Queensland and scripture, you know, and, and ultimately in between the, guess, the spiritual and the everyday. So he spends a lot of time in in-between spaces trying to translate, you know, trying to kind of bridge the gap sometimes. But he's also on the edges of things and he's spending a lot of time with some of the kids and some of the people who uh, maybe our society identifies as being the ones who are most disadvantaged, you know, most at risk of some kind of harm. Uh, and, and he spends time with them, particularly with them, helping them to kind of maybe to access, uh, you know, the good things that God has uh, in store for them that they haven't yet been able to, to access. And so these are the, some of the things that, that, that my sort of research into all of what's chaplaincy sort of came up with. And again, as, as, as you know, potential, you know, so it's the recruitment, you know, unofficial chaplains, you know, what, what might that say to us about, about some of the ways we could be moving through the world, some of the places we could be, some of the people we could be uh, looking out for, some of the processes that we might be thinking to engage in that maybe uh, we haven't engaged uh, with uh, up to this point. Can I have my next slide, Jill? So I want to go back to, to this, this slide and I guess I want to highlight something. Earlier I said that the spiritual support part of the chaplain's role is the distinctive part. But you can't kind of look at that and kind of go, 4%? Yeah, hold on a minute. You know, what are we supporting? What are we celebrating? You know, as good, fine, upstanding Christian people, we kind of be going, hold on a minute, what, what are we putting our money into? What are we, what are we praying for? That, that seems like just a little bit of time. And uh, next slide, please. And haven't I heard somewhere that chaplains can't evangelise? Or proselytise? What kind of kind of half-baked spiritual support racket's going on even at only 4%? You know, and these are the questions that, uh, that Christian people will have about this distinctive part. So I'm saying on one hand this is a distinctive part, but on one hand Christians I know have questions about it. Actually, not just Christians, actually community people have <laughs> a completely different set of questions about it. So our distinctive Christians kind of go, yeah, maybe that's okay. Community people go, actually, we're against that, or we don't really care about it, it's not really important to us. So we're in this funny kind of spot in that we're kind of trying to stand for this, this something, this something called spiritual support, this spiritual sort of infused way of moving through the world and yet it's a little bit of a conflicted, contested space. So people kind of ask me these kind of questions about this part of the role all the time and that's when I get real serious and I pull out my Bible. So if you'd like to turn, next slide please, if you'd like to turn to Luke chapter 4 with me, I want to just share with you a few, few thoughts around how did Jesus see what he was doing? So Jesus was, uh, you know, God's special one, come to, to carry out God's mission in a way that no one else ever had and ever could. And so when he talked about it and thought about it and did things about it, what did, what did he do? How did he sort of see that and how did he uh, approach that? And again, this is a passage that I uh, explore with our new chaplains uh, when, they, when they come into our new chaplain inductions. I just want to share some of the, some of the thoughts uh, around that. I want to frame up, uh, just before we read this passage, I want to frame up this passage around the idea, I guess, that this is like Jesus' ministry launch. It's a bit like his opening ceremony. 
All right, so uh, as, as we lead into this passage, we see that um, uh, Jesus has uh, had his baptism and he's been very publicly affirmed by his father and that's really great and he moves from that very high experience to a very challenging experience uh, of being in the wilderness and uh, uh, what happens there, I guess, on my understanding, I think is, is the kind of Messiah that Jesus is going to be is, is put to the test. His, his metal, you know, is, is, as Messiah, is a number of different options of the way he could achieve things are presented to him. And he's going, no, no, I, we've, my father and I, we've got a way we're going. And, and he has to kind of keep on the path during, during uh, that period. Uh, and then when we come to the beginning uh, in chapter 4, we get this idea that Jesus is coming out of that experience filled with the Spirit, filled with power, and he's into it. He's getting on with things. And this is Luke's version, I guess, of the first things that we, we hear Jesus saying. So I think Luke is trying to present this to us as Jesus' opening ceremony, his launch. So for me, I, I've been to launches, and I know that the people who launch things want me to know who they are, what they're on about, and maybe I'll get to buy in in some ways. I'll support them in some way. So I'm expecting to hear something of that when I read this passage. So let's just, um, let's just read that together. So Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began saying to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Um, next slide, please. One of the things that uh, I, I do with the chaplains with this passage is I say, what I want you to do is to get into a little... I'm not going to do this today. We just probably don't have the time um, or maybe the proper setup. But I say, get together in a little small group. So I want you to think about three questions, all right, about what this passage might tell us. Three questions. Who is Jesus? What is Jesus' mission? What's he on about? What's he getting excited about when he gets up in the morning? What's he got up to do? You know, and then three, how does he get things done? I think these are three really, really important questions we should always ask if you want to try and work out what's the Christian version of something. You know, how do we do something Christianly, Christ-likely? You know, how do we do that? All right. So we've got to try and work out, of course, who's Jesus? What's Jesus really passionate about? What's his mission? And then how is he going to uh, get things done? And so I'll ask the chaplains that and they'll get in their groups. Uh, and, and generally, these are the kind of things um, that come up. When we ask, who is Jesus, from that passage, we'll get, well, in practice, he's a teacher. So he's up there, he's up there teaching. But not only is he teaching, when he teaches, he talks about himself being the preacher or the proclaimer. And he's proclaiming these things, these things of good news, release, recovery, um, you know, sight, um, freedom. Uh, but he's the preacher and, and the proclaimer. But one of the things we often talk about there is that pro proclamation isn't just about good ideas. When you're normally proclaiming something, particularly good news, we're proclaiming some kind of action, some, some, some kind of activity, something that's either coming or is, is present. 
And so when we see the preaching proclaiming here, we need to also kind of understand that it's tied up with an activity. It's tied up with something that God is doing, with something um, that is going on. So Jesus is the proclaimer, but in some sense he's also the deliverer. He's also delivering these things that he's talking about. And of course, right at the beginning when he reads the Isaiah, the part that he selected, he, um, he says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm anointed. You know, I've, I've been anointed by the Spirit. God has actually set me apart to do this special thing. And of course, we see constantly Jesus deferring to the Father uh, in his work. And in this case, it's, it's kind of a new thing, but it's sort of a new version of what God has always been on about. And we get this sense that God has always been on about his mission for release and recovery uh, and, and restoration. When we have a look at the next question, the question around what's Jesus doing, again, it's those words that come to mind. It's release, it's recovery, it's, it's freedom. You know, it's, it's just bringing this announcement uh, of God's favour. And so the mission of God seems to be these big, broad, life-giving kind of words and these big, broad, life-giving activities. And, and they're not just generalised. They actually end up being quite focused. So sometimes I look at this passage and I go, oh, I think, think what God's mission is is so big and broad that it just might reach into all those dark, quiet, forgotten corners so that those who are captive and those who are blind and those who are oppressed and those who are poor might be able to take advantage of it. But then sometimes I look at it and I go, actually, I'm not even sure that that's enough. So I actually sometimes wonder if Jesus is saying here, this actually needs to be prioritised. That actually it's not just kind of this general, this is going to be good for everybody. It's so good it might actually be good for these guys on the edges. I think the, the specific kind of mention of the names of the people who are missing out might suggest to us that we actually need to be prioritising this. That if, that if a mission that's got Jesus' name to it hasn't got these people prioritised, may not be a true mission of Jesus. How challenging is that idea? It just may be what Jesus is trying to say to us here, that this work on the edges, the liminal spaces in the edges, maybe this is an essential plank of what it means to be a part of Jesus' mission. And then how does he get things done? Well, if that's what he's going to be doing, then I guess he's going to be proclaiming, he's going to be acting but he's also going to be rerouting himself. He's actually going to be rerouting himself to places where maybe the people who are missing out are going to be. And he's actually going to make sure that some of that presence and availability is actually a bit more deliberate. Because um, you know, if it's left up to me, I'll hang up with people who like me and who are like me. All right? my, my paths don't tend to travel <laughs> beyond those circles unless I, I take a step out to go to those places. That's what I love about Chaplain. Chaplain has got its eye out. It's got its eye out on the kids uh, in the community who might be missing out. And I think that one of the ways Jesus gets things done is he gets out and about. He gets in amongst it. He finds out what's going on, finds out the people who are missing out and then starts to kind of see what, is, what does it mean to be a catalyst uh, of God's good things uh, in those places. Uh, next slide, please. And I guess to back this up again, when we go down just a few chapters, you can turn to this with me if you'd like. If we go to just forward a little bit to, um, to John chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Thank you, okay. You are my wingman. I'd like to be so. <laughs> um, 
just lost myself here for a minute. Sorry, excuse me. When we head um, into uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 18 to 22, we get this kind of situation where John the Baptist is imprisoned uh, and he's got some questions about, you know, Jesus. I guess he's, he's really been pushing Jesus. And, and it, for whatever reason, at this point in time, it's kind of, I'm not really sure if, if I've backed the right horse, if that's the right expression you can use, or put my eggs in the right Messiah basket. Whatever it is, he's, he's not sure anymore. And he sends two of his disciples to basically directly check this out with Jesus. And so these guys go to Jesus and say, are you the one we've been waiting for or is there, is there someone else? Is there someone else? And, um, and Jesus, in classic Jesus style, doesn't answer the question directly. Anyway, I love it. He just goes, look around. Look and see what's going on in this place. The blind are receiving sight. The lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news, good news is proclaimed to the poor. If you tell John that, John will have the answer to his question. He'll know the answer if you tell him that that is the kind of stuff that is going on. John is asking for proof of whether the Messiah is present in the world. And this is the kind of proof that Jesus gives him. It's not a direct overlap from Luke 4, but it's certainly the same territory. This, these statements of Jesus are not just spiritualised statements. They, they, they probably are as well. But in Luke chapter 7, we see the, the talk that is you know, being walked from Luke chapter 4. Jesus has talked a good game in Luke chapter 4 and made it clear what he's on about. And then Luke chapter 7, he's showing everybody exactly what he's on about. That to be the Messiah means to bring about God's good things for everyone, prioritising and including those people that are missing out on the things that God has in store for them uh, today. Next slide, thanks. So, what does that mean for us then? Unofficial chaplains. Well, going back to our little purpose statement, our one-line elevator pitch, what it might mean for us is that as unofficial chaplains, you know, we might be able to be people that could provide social and emotional uh, and spiritual support to children, young people and families in, in the communities uh, that we are a part of. Our workplaces, our streets. Just to be a part of, part of that, what's going on, to take an interest, to get, to get out there uh, and get amongst it. Next one, please. And I guess looking at that list of things that I found in my, my book research, that, that this is just a copy and paste <laughs> to basically to go out and kind of say, what does it mean to make space and time to be available out in the everyday people, uh, lives uh, of people. To be present, but to be present with that intention. You know, that sense of, um, that sense of uh, bearing witness, you know, to the sacred uh, and the divine. To, to putting time and energy into what makes a positive uh, relationship with our, with our neighbours or workmates or friends in our sport team or club to them being available to anyone who needs support and to bear witness to the divine and sacred, to be that person who just might say to them, have you ever wondered, you know, there's anything more that you could draw upon here? In my experience, what's kind of been working for me is I call upon the name of God, you know. Have you ever heard about Jesus? You know, that gentle kind of introduction and bearing witness 
to, to that source of life that we all know to be deep and true. But to, but to translate, you know, to be in those in-between spaces with people and to translate their experience into what it is that God might have in store. To, to be the very place where, where God and people can meet. Uh, that's a little line from um, Rose, the Rosie's Prayer. You know, that we might be this place where people in Jesus uh, could meet. And you'll find yourself a lot of times in, in between spaces when you do that. And not only just with people and circumstances and people, but even sometimes in yourself, you'll find yourself dealing with things and you'll feel the tension of being in that uh, in-between space. And we shouldn't be afraid of that. We shouldn't worry about that. Oftentimes that's a sign that we're probably doing that thing that God might be calling us to do. Being in the liminal spaces, being in between, being on the edges is not a comfortable place. We shouldn't, you know, interpret that, that sometimes bad, tense feeling as being a sense that we're in the wrong place. Sometimes it actually means we're in that tough place uh, that God is calling us to be. Um, this way, thank you. Um, this is just a, a passage from uh, Colossians. This is what I want to finish on. I want to finish on a little prayer, I guess. So we're gonna, I'm going to commission you as unofficial chaplains today, just to just to kind of, and, and, and I'm just assuming you're going to go out and, and do that and be that, so we I won't sh- get a show of hands. Um, but this passage was a really, really important one for me when I was a chaplain. Uh, and I used to uh, pray a prayer pretty much every day uh, based on this prayer, uh, based on this passage. And I'd often pray it as I was kind of wandering around, so I'm going to pray that with you. So, but let's just, I just want to read through this passage with you. So this is Colossians chapter 1 uh, from the message. He, Jesus, was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he and so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Um, But not only that, all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. <coughs> it's a lovely uh, passage and a very, very powerful one about the bigness of this Jesus. <laughs> this is Paul reflecting back on, on who it is that he's following uh, and worshipping. But for me, the, the, the lines that call, caught me for my prayer was, I would say, God, can you please show me today the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe in, in this school and community as I'm walking around and and chatting to people, and maybe there'll be personal ones or relational ones, or maybe there'll be more structural things that are happening in the school, systemic things, I don't know. Could you please show me what the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe look like in in the world that I'm travelling through? Can you please give me a vision for how you would have them to be fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies? What's your vision of shalom for for those situations? Uh, and, And how can I, in some ways, be an agent of that? How can I, in some ways, be a catalyst to help that? Just move a step uh, or two. And I would kind of move through the school community, praying that prayer, trying to have that kind of awareness uh, because that's what I felt like it meant to be a chaplain in my school. And I guess since not being a chaplain, uh, I prayed that prayer, I guess, you know, often in my life to see what it just might mean for me as I go about my everyday business. So let me pray that with you and then we'll be done. Uh, God, we thank you uh, for this morning and an opportunity to look out the window, uh, to kind of look out what's going on, what, what you're calling people to do beyond um, the, the four, four walls of this, of this great church. Um, particularly, we, we thank you for our school chaplains uh, and for all their supporters, 
for the volunteers, the teams, the school staff, the parents, you know, all the community organisations and the churches that all uh, work together to see this amazing thing take place. And while it is amazing, we don't just want to stop and celebrate there. We do want to pause this morning and say, well, so what? You know, that's fantastic. What, what does it mean for me? What, what, is, what does that call uh, say to me in my life? We thank you for Jesus and for what we read about him uh, in your word. Help us to read and discern and reflect uh, and just to work out from these passages, what is it that we should take away? What is it that we should uh, take on in our lives? And God, we thank you that you have a vision for things, vibrant harmonies, uh, that you have called us to be agents of that. Help us to move through the world in such a way to be agents of that. Uh, And in that way, we would help see your kingdom come. Amen.